The word of the Lord from Matthew 24. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Our great God, we begin and end this morning with this. Thank you that Christ came for sinners like us. Thank you that Christ lived and died and rose again to free and deliver and save sinners like us. Thank you that this good news of Jesus made its way to us that we might hear, believe, and be called the children of God. Now, Lord, as those who are basking in your grace and walking in the gospel, we pray that you would be at work in us. Pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would make us like your son and fill us with the love of Jesus that transcends Pray this in Jesus' name. We pray this for his glory. Amen. Friends, it's great to be with you all this morning. If you haven't done so yet, please take a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 24, where Suzanne just read for us. If you're our guest today, thank you for being here. At Redeemer, we are working our way through the gospel of Matthew. And so as we continue to work our way through, we're in chapter 24, this passage in a piece of Matthew known as the Olivet Discourse, as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples. Um, And in the Olivet Discourse, 
Jesus is going to be talking a lot about things like the end and the coming of his kingdom and the destruction of Jerusalem and many things of that nature. And as I said last week, for whatever reason, when Christians start talking about the end and the coming of Jesus, we all lose our minds. Like, like either we start saying crazy things that we really don't believe, or we get really, really, really excited like a two-year-old on his or her birthday. But what Jesus is doing in this section of Scripture, and particularly what he's doing in this passage we're looking at today, is he's preparing his people to stay focused on the gospel all the way to the end. What Jesus is doing is he's preparing his people to stay focused on the gospel all the way to the end. And when I say focused on the gospel, I mean focused on the good news proclaimed that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Savior and came to the world to save sinners from all nations. This is what Jesus is doing in this passage. And so what I want to do is try to lead us where Jesus is taking his disciples. So I've entitled this sermon, Our Response, because I'm really, and I I think Jesus is, I'm really focusing in upon what response does this teaching about the end create in us? What response does this teaching about the end create in us? Because Jesus, I think, tells us some responses it should not create and some responses that it should create. So if you want to take notes this morning, our first point is prepare us. Prepare us. So last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 24, and at the beginning of the chapter 24, at the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus told his disciples that the temple would be completely destroyed. And in telling them that, he's telling them that the center of their relation to God is going to change. It's going to shift to him. In many ways, Jesus is the greater temple. That was last week's sermon. You can go and listen to that. But that teaching, it's found in chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, it created some questions from the disciples. They're they're in verse 3. I think they're justified questions. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Meaning this destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So the disciples hear Jesus telling of something future-oriented, and they have some questions. Now, when will, the, when will what you've told us about the temple happen? When, what will be the sign of your coming, and what will be the sign of the end? These are the questions that the disciples are asking Jesus. Now, I think it's important that we take a step back and we, we wrestle with this question. Why would the disciples be asking this? Why would the disciples be asking this? I, I think ultimately, the disciples are simply saying to Jesus, Prepare us for what is to come. Prepare us for what is to come. 
Prepare us to live and respond faithfully to what is to come. I think that's the motive of the disciples. So, if that's the motive of the disciples, then I would say it's with that motive that we should approach Matthew 24 and 25. Lord, prepare us to be faithful to you in all things that are to come. Lord, prepare us to be faithful to you in all things that are to come. So I, I would just say, church, let's start praying that as we navigate this passage. Lord, would you, these passages, Lord, would you prepare us to be faithful to you in all things that are to come? I think that's a prayer that the Lord would firmly answer. Now, a historical note, we know from history and looking back that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed along with most of the city in AD 70. We know that the temple is no more. We know that it has not been rebuilt. We also know that the end has not come. We're all here. And so we, therefore, are the people of God who belong to Christ, who are still asking the question, Lord, would you prepare us to be faithful and to live accordingly in all that is I would just point out that I don't think the disciples were asking Jesus to give them dates and times of the end. I don't think the disciples were asking Jesus to draw them a timeline of all the events that are to come. I don't think that the disciples were asking Jesus for fodder for their end times study group. And I don't think that the disciples were asking Jesus to give them special Gnostic knowledge to listen to the news more faithfully than the average Joe. Jesus is merely giving his disciples what to expect so they won't punt the faith. He's giving his disciples what to expect so they won't believe that he's been thwarted or overcome. He's giving them what to expect so they will continue in faithfulness until the end. What if you don't have to be the guy walking around Panera while everyone sips their coffee trying to start a discussion about why we're in the last days? If you don't know that guy at Panera, that's just my joke. But I don't think that's what Jesus would want from us. He wants us to be faithful to him until the end. And faithfulness to Jesus always centers around the gospel of what he's done for us. Not our special insights into what is going to happen. Okay? So if Jesus is preparing them to be faithful to the end then what he does in this passage, by my count, and there's different counts, he gives them 10 things to expect. 10 things to expect. 
So our second point is expectations. So if the end is not yet, what should we expect? What should we expect? Ten things. Jesus says, before we get into the ten things, he also gives us a paradigm or a metaphor to think about these ten things. Okay? Now, I know that rule number one of being a man is you never try to speak to women about childbirth. Okay? I know that's rule number one. But I got to violate rule number one because Jesus violates rule number one. The, the, the metaphor that he gives is childbirth. The metaphor that he gives is, is birth pains. So we're going to go with Jesus, okay? And ladies, I'm just going with Jesus, okay? But Jesus says that when we see these 10 things happening, it doesn't mean that the end is here today, but it means that we're in labor, okay? He says, when you see these 10 things happening, it means that, that the baby's coming, but we don't exactly know when the baby's coming. That's in verse 8. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains, okay? So if we could make labor and delivery a little less scientific than it currently is, okay? Because in current mode, you have this thing, it's... It's like um, a tool for reading the magnitude of earthquakes. Like it goes up and down and it tells you like, this is really bad and this isn't that bad to help interpret the, the pains and um, the movement and all the things, the contractions that are going on with the lady. And then we have other ways of measuring like we're really, really close. But let's go back to a bit more pre-scientific age and it kind of went like this. We're in labor. 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 There's the baby, right? That's kind of how it went. And in here, there was just a lot of I'm not sure unless you were on baby number 12. Everybody with me here? So if you didn't have the little seismic reader to say, oh, that contraction was only a five, and you said to a woman, did that hurt? You know what she's going to say? Oh, yeah, that hurt. Until she has a seven. And then until she has an eight. And until she has a nine. And until she has a ten, right? Like, they all hurt. And some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, you feel me today. But here's the point. Every contraction says, we're in labor, the baby's still coming. 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 And what Jesus ultimately says is when we see these 10 things unfolding, that means we're still in labor, but we're still waiting on the baby to come. And so to pull the metaphor, to pull the truth out of the metaphor, what the metaphor that Jesus is introducing would be is labor equals waiting on Christ to come. And ever since his death and burial and resurrection, there's not been a time where we were not in this labor pain realm. And yet, he still hasn't come again. That's how we're to interpret these things, okay? So, 
What does Jesus say to expect? I'm going to do this quickly. Number one, expect false messiahs. Verse four, many, or verse five, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. So Jesus says many will come claiming to be the real Messiah, therefore insinuating that Jesus was not the real Messiah. Now I would just posit to us in our day and age that ideologies can be false messiahs, political candidates can be false messiahs, Any vision of fulfillment that you embrace as your great hope likewise could be a false messiah. Second, verse 6, there will be wars and rumors of wars. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Number three, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Number four, there will be famines. Number five, there will be earthquakes. Number six, beginning in verse nine, Christians will suffer, be hated because they are Christian. Verse number seven, many who claim the name of Christ will fall away and turn against the people of Christ. Number eight, false prophets will arise and lead many astray. A prophet is one who claims to speak on behalf of of God. Number nine, the love of many will grow cold because lawlessness has increased. Love for the Lord and his people and the word will grow cold in many who claim to belong to the Lord. That's a very uplifting and encouraging list of nine things, isn't it? Number 10, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and and then the end will come. The gospel will go forward. So what's Jesus ultimately doing? He's preparing his people's expectations. Hey, the temple in Jerusalem destroyed doesn't thwart the work of Jesus in any shape or form. False messiahs, Jesus is still the true Messiah. Don't misinterpret it. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation against nation. Famines, earthquakes, signs of a fallen world. Jesus is still the king and he still reigns. Christians suffer and are hated because of their loyalty to Jesus. Doesn't mean that Jesus has been defeated. It means that a fallen world hates Christ and the things of Christ. People who carry the name of Jesus fall away. False prophets lead others away. The love of many who carry the name of Jesus grows cold. A reality of a fallen world, it does not mean that Jesus has been 
defeated. And underneath all of this is this hope. The good news of the reign of Jesus will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The gospel of Jesus will win. The gospel of Jesus will go forward. Which means this. Temples can be destroyed. False messiahs can arise. Wars can rage on. Nations can rage against nations. Famines can go out. Earthquakes can tear down. Christians can die and be martyred for their faithfulness to Jesus. People can walk away People can be led astray. The love of folks can grow cold. And Jesus is still the king of his kingdom, doing his work, triumphing forward. And what we celebrate is not buildings or peace or ease, but what we celebrate is that the gospel is going forward. This is the work of the kingdom, is for the gospel of Jesus to go forward. So, some implications. Jesus says in verse 6, the end is not yet. He says in verse 8, all these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. He says in verse 14 that the end will indeed come. So, What Jesus is ultimately saying, he's answering the question, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Here's the answer. The signs are always among you, always. There's never been a time in the history of a fallen world where these things haven't been happening, particularly since Christ. There's never been a time where these things aren't unfolding. The the signs are all around you. And yet, the end hasn't come. Which means this, at any moment, Christ may come. At any moment, Christ may come. He doesn't need us to do anything to unlock the door for him. At any moment, he may come. And second, by way of expectation... If we use the analogy of birth pains, what we should expect between today and that day is an increasing intensity and increasing frequency of the 10 signs, of the 10 things that we are to expect. So often we go, wars and rumors of wars. Oh, there's a new war. Israel's been invaded. It's the end. There's always been wars and rumors of wars. By the way, I just used Israel's been invaded because that's the most recent one before us. Ukraine's been invaded. Some small tribe that none of us have ever heard of in sub-Saharan Africa has invaded another tribe. These are wars and rumors of wars. They always will be. But much like 
labor and delivery, the closer we are to the coming, the more close and more intense are the signs that we are in labor. So Jesus is preparing his disciples to be faithful through false messiahs, wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, suffering and martyrdom, many falling away, false prophets leading astray, and love growing cold. And he's retuning our focus to this. We exist to see the gospel believed, trusted, and proclaimed throughout the world. So maybe I've taken some cheap shots at our end times Bible studies, but I would ask you this. Actually, I don't think we have any of those here, but if we did, I would ask you this. Is the result of your study these two things? Come, Lord Jesus, and let's take the gospel to the nations. Because if it's not, Jesus says we're doing it wrong. He says we're doing it wrong. We sang some Martin Luther earlier, which warms my heart. And I see you back there, the Gelzo family. Uh, we sang some Luther earlier, warm my heart. But Luther famously said, there's only two days that matter. Today and that day. That day being when Christ comes. So today, let's be faithful until that day. Because tomorrow might be that day. And our great, 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 great grandkids might be waiting on that day. That's all in the hands of the Lord. So this pushes us to our third point. How do we respond? How do we respond to these things that Jesus has revealed? Here's the good news. Jesus tells them three ways to respond. So given my lack of creativity and my desire to be faithful, I'm going to give you three ways to respond. So when we see these these birth pains unfolding in front of us, how do we respond? Jesus gives three. Number one is in verse four, don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Meaning, don't allow false teachers or false ideologies to lead you away from the Lord and his word. And I would say to you, if you want to be a person who's not so gullible as to easily be led astray, then know the word and what it says. Know the truth so you can cling to it and not be led away from it. Kids teachers, youth teachers, middle school teachers, God bless you all. Yeah, yeah. Adult teachers, parents, as you labor with your kids inside your home, what you're doing is giving your kids and our kids and a next generation a foundation and an understanding of the word of God so that they're not easily led astray. I don't think this is true of me today, but it could be true of me next Sunday. I could become one of those prophets that leads you astray 
And if so, you need to know the difference between God's truth and what's coming from the stage on a Sunday. And if I become that, just come take me down. There's some big people in this room that I wouldn't want to mess with. Just come take me down. Don't be led astray. Number two, Jesus says in verse six, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. I think this one's harder for us. Any worriers here? Well, we're showing hands at Redeemer today. Any warriors? Leave your hands up, warriors. Any anxious people here? Anxious people? Man, liars. We, liars. <laughs> liars. Okay. I think this one's harder for us. Don't be alarmed. <sighs> Hypothetically, in the realm of idea, it's really easy to say they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But it's a whole other thing to be the one put up to tribulation, the one on the brink of death, the one being hated by everyone for the sake of the name of Jesus and still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a whole other reality. And Jesus says, don't be alarmed. I am with you. Don't be alarmed. What is unfolding is exactly what must unfold. The world hates me. It will hate you. Cling to me. Don't be alarmed. And I would just go one step further and say, the things that trigger you the most and make you the most alarmed, quit paying attention to them. Like maybe some of us should get off E-Trade and quit checking our portfolio. Maybe some of us should quit watching whatever brand of news we think we like the most, but all it does is gets us amped up the most. We can see what's going on in the world. We can lament it. We can pray. We can ask the Lord to work. And we can say, yet another sign that we need Jesus. I'll go a step further. As I preach through Matthew 24 and 25, I don't think it's my job to get you alarmed. I think it's our job to point one another to hope in Christ. Number three, Jesus says, don't fall away. Look at verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Like some of you may hear that and may be like, oh, pastor, that puts so much on me. No. We'll only endure to the end through the power of the Spirit and Christ at work in us. But that doesn't mean we just get to be filled with anxiety and alarm and not engage. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. Cling to Christ. Remember that our only hope comes from Christ. And number four, look outward. Look outward. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel's going to the ends of the earth. Jesus died to redeem a people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And for some weird reason, his method of getting the gospel there is us. It's his people. It's his church at work. So every time you think something like this, The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Then follow that thought up with, and Christ died to redeem people from the handbasket. Let's take the gospel always and everywhere. You see, one thing we evangelicals do with this passage, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Oh, Lord, thank you for missionaries. By the way, thank you for missionaries. But that doesn't get us off the hook. We're the nations too. The gospel's going here. It's going to saturate this land. Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. Don't fall away. Look outside yourself. With these expectations, Jesus tells us how to respond. And our hope to be faithful flows through clinging to Christ. So let's cling to him. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take these words of truth. And as much as what we've heard this morning is faithful to you, we pray you would cause us to believe it. We plead this all. In the name of Christ our Lord.